He was raised in a chicken coop. You heard that right. 21st century, and this kid was raised in a chicken coop. If you want to know what I'm talking about, stick around. Is your family ready for whatever comes next? As we watch our realities transform almost overnight, parents, teachers, and significant adults wonder, are our kids really ready for this new world? How can we be sure they have all the tools they need? How can we inspire, encourage, and empower them to create secure futures in an uncertain world? How can we help them design better tomorrows? Those are the questions, and this podcast explores the answers. I'm Marcy Amaro, and welcome to Sincerely Speaking. And today I just want to take a little bit of time to go back in time, back in history, and share with you some of the things that have impacted my life the most, the reason why I started on this wonderful journey to help parents and families and people learn the communication skills that can help them move to a completely different level and figure out how to design families and lives that are set to succeed. And um, I figured that I could go back to that one moment that changed my life the most. Let me go back a little bit and tell you about how I got started and where I come from and everything that um, led me to this point in my life. So I am originally from the beautiful, amazing, incredible tropical island of Puerto Rico. And I was uh, born and raised there. I left Puerto Rico after high school to go to Rochester, New York. I went to the most polar opposite place I could find from where I had grown up. I spent some time there. It was wonderful, but I ended up going back and getting my degree in education. And then I went to, I moved to Florida, where I got my master's at the University of Central Florida. But all that leading up to tell you that I became a teacher and I started teaching at the age of 21. By the time I was in my late 20s, I already had almost a decade of experience with teaching kids and working with teens and families and figuring out how to connect and communicate with these kids. But it wasn't until about my 12th or 13th year into teaching that I had this one experience that truly changed my life. I am a stickler for... Um, respect. <laughs> I don't like disrespect in any way, shape, or form. And one of the things that I consider disrespectful is using profane or foul language. And I always tell my kids that in my classroom, I do not accept profanity. That great minds and intelligent people can always find alternate ways to express the same emotions without resorting to language that can be offensive. And so I asked them not to use it, and I don't use it myself. And then this one year, I had this group of students, and one of them, I noticed, the first day of class, he came in, plopped himself in the back row, and he was looking at me, staring dead into my soul, and trying to, I guess, throw me off or shock me into not talking anymore and he stared at me in this freaky I want to hurt you kind of way throughout most of the class I tried to ignore it I tried not to pay too much attention 
then um, at the time the school that I worked at there had been some safety issues so they would keep the gates closed in the morning and during breaks and throughout the day and even teachers we had to wait for the gates to be opened by the security office officer before we could go in and about a week into school I was standing there in front of that gate waiting to be let into school and I start hearing the most foul profane language coming from my right. I tried not to react. It was difficult for me, especially at the time when I didn't have a lot of the patience and the skills that I have now. But I tried not to react. I tried to remain calm and I started looking around, trying to figure out what on earth was going on and where that noise was coming from, where that um, foul language was coming from. And um, I made a move that allowed me to do like a 360. And as I turned, I realized that this kid that had been staring into my soul for a week was standing off to my right, pretending not to see me. But he was the one that was spouting out all this foul language. Of course, he was masking his voice and he was using a different voice, but I knew it was him. And he just kept insulting me and using foul language and saying the meanest things that you can think of while I stood there to wait to be led into the school. As I walked in, I had used all of my energy and all of my power to try to not react to this kid. So I was already, beginning of the day, I hadn't even had my first class, and I was already bothered, angry, overloaded, and I had spent every ounce of energy in trying not to respond or react to that kid and everything that he was saying. As I went back to my room, I started to think, okay, this is second week of school. He's already gotten under my skin. He's already gotten to me and gotten on my nerves. If this persists, I'm going to have the most horrendous year, and there's no way I'm going to let this kid beat me. So what can I do? How can I make this different? How can I turn this around? And I thought, you know, most teachers and most adults for that matter, would probably react in anger. They would probably call him to task and sit him down and impart some sort of discipline and try to make sure that he understood who's boss and who's in charge. And I thought, that's what he's expecting from me. He's waiting for me to call him over and yell at him or tell him how awful he was and try to punish him in some way. And he's waiting for that from me. But what if I do the opposite? What if instead of getting angry, what if instead of lashing out and punishing him and trying to get him to behave, I just love on him like no one has probably ever loved, loved on him before? What if I take the opposite approach and I just choose to throw so much love in his direction that he has no choice but to understand that I'm never going to lash out to him? So as much as it, as difficult as it was, and as much energy as it took from me, I made a decision right then and there that the only thing that kid would get from me would be love. And so um, we're going to call him Jorge. And so Jorge comes into my class that day with the biggest smirk on his face, looking me up and down, waiting to see what I'm going to do. And I just smiled and I said, hey, how are you? Welcome. And he just stared at me like, have you gone completely insane? 
So as the class begins, he starts making inappropriate comments, interrupting me at every chance, trying to throw me off my game, trying to get me to lose track of what I'm saying. And the whole time I'm either trying to ignore the comments or just smile at him and continue on. When the kids were working independently and doing their thing, I made it a point to go over and lean down and ask him directly if he was doing okay, if he needed any help. Every chance I got, I went over and I expressed my desire to help him and to support him and my belief that he could do amazing things. And I spent the next three or four days just overdoing it really, um, just making sure that that kid felt as much love as I could throw his way. Well, fast forward a few months and I finally get a chance to have a parent-teacher conference with his mom. The lady comes in almost in tears and she says, I don't know what you did, but I want to thank you. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, I still can't really get your kid to do much work. He's still failing my class, but at least he's not trying to shock me every minute of every day. And I asked her why, and she said, well, let me tell you Jorge's story. Turns out Jorge was the child of two drug addicts. The mom, in a fit of despair, looking for drugs, just desperate to do what she needed to do to get a fix, dropped him off with a grandma, who was herself an alcoholic, and left him and never went back for him. Jorge was then in this home with this lady who didn't want him, and she figured the only way he could be out of her way and still get fed and still survive was to put him with the chickens in the chicken coop. So this is what I was talking about in the introduction. She made him live and sleep with the chickens. That was his room, that was his home, the chicken coop. So every day, Jorge would come into school dirty, hungry, and angry. Now the lady that was sitting across from me, his mom now, was his adoptive mom. And what had happened was that at one point, she started noticing that this kid was coming to school every day with dirty clothes, that when he went in the um, cafeteria, he would devour anything that was placed in front of him. And she noticed this expression on his face. So one day, she waited to see if she could locate somebody related to this kid after school. Turns out she got to see grandma. And she went over and she said, look, I don't mean to pry, but I've noticed that um, his clothes are a little unkept and he seems to be hungry. And I was just wondering if there was any way that I could help. Well, the grandma turned to the lady, um, we'll call her Elizabeth, and she said, you want him? You care about him? Here, take him. And she just handed him off. The grandmother handed Jorge off to Elizabeth without any more questions, without any more concern, without any kind of knowledge or understanding of who this lady even was. And she just left and left the boy there with this lady to take care of. So Elizabeth started relating these things and tears were dripping down her face and mine, honestly. It was 21st century and I just could not believe that I was still hearing stories about kids being raised in chicken coops and being abused in this manner. I just couldn't understand how anybody could hurt a child that much. 
regardless of their relationship with them. And I saw this other lady who was of no blood relation, but who took, who showed concern, who took the time to raise him as her own, who took him to her home with her biological kids and did everything in her, in her power to raise him. All the while, this kid is obviously disturbed and obviously in need of some mental assistance and some counseling. And she's doing her best to raise him and to help him have a positive, productive future. And she is thanking me for the fact that instead of lashing out and just dreading him up for his behavior, I demonstrated some sort of love. And then she said the words I will never forget. She said, you know, he came home one day and he said, this lady must have forgotten everything I've done because she insists on being nice. And that really touched me in a different way because honestly, all I had done was choose to love him, realizing that something must have been triggering his behavior. And that put me on a different path. That sent me on a completely different path from the one that I had started out in. Instead of focusing so much on the materials and the content and the curriculum, I started realizing that the people in front of me were souls. They were human beings. They were people with different needs and concerns and pains and desires. I started to think about my students not so much as grades and numbers and materials, but as individuals with untapped potential. And I started wondering what I could do to reach as many of those souls as possible. And I saw a new responsibility in my job and in everything that I did. And that sent me down this path to researching how to reach teens, to figuring out how to build rapport with people who don't want to be reached, of figuring out how to connect with people at a different level, people of all ages, because this mom, Elizabeth, also needed someone to listen, someone to understand, someone to tell her she was doing okay, in spite of the fact that Jorge was still acting up and still behaving in ways, in way, in ways that were less than ideal, in ways that were self-harming and self-sabotaging instead of positive and productive. And um, I have dedicated the rest of my life to researching and being trained and figuring out all the different pieces and all the different tools that can help me and others connect at a different level, especially with difficult people. And believe it or not, it all seems to boil down to one very practical, very specific and very learnable skill, which is the focus of this podcast, and that is communication. As we spend our times together over the next few days and months and hopefully years, we're going to be talking about the best ways to use communication to promote connection, to invite cooperation, to encourage others to reach their highest potential. We will talk about how curious listening, and we will define that later on, but we will talk about how curious listening is the first and most important step in any of this, in making communication truly effective and in inviting dialogue instead of resistance. And we will look at all the different ways in which communication can open up doors and open up hearts and give you access to helping those around you, whether they're family, 
members, co-workers, or just people that you want to help in whatever way, shape, or form. So hopefully as we share this journey together and as we converse with some of the guests that we will be having and talk about some of the things that I have learned through the years, you will understand how communication done right is the key to building solid and consistent relationships. I want to sincerely thank you for spending this time with me today. I know time is precious and you have so many other things you could be doing. Hopefully you have found our conversation meaningful and valuable. If you have, be sure to share it with someone else in your life who needs this today. For additional tools, resources, and insights, including a free copy of my ebook, Come Up For Air, Five Simple Steps to Diffusing Any Tense Situation, Even If It Includes Your Team, head on over to marciamaro.com. Thanks again for joining me, and let's meet again on Sincerely Speaking.